0: Get your Bible and let's look to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Today we begin uh, our study of the book of Revelation and we're going to have an introduction to the book of Revelation this morning. Um, I want to read the uh, first three verses of this great uh, book, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. This is the Word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Let's pray together. Our Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning, our great and mighty God. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ that you have given to us, preserved for us over these years. And we ask that this morning that you would open our eyes to see your glory in a greater way. We pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to uh, have a, a new desire in our hearts to understand who you are and what your plan is for us and for this universe. And so, Father, we 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 commit ourselves to you this morning and and ask you uh, to just move me out of the way. Help me not to be a hindrance, but Lord, help me to speak in a way that would benefit all of your people gathered here today. We ask this now in Jesus' name, Amen. the 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 late British Prime Minister Winston Churchill once described the former Soviet Union. As a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And many Christians view the book of Revelation in a similar way. They look at all of the uh, imagery, all of the, the drama, all of the symbolism, and they just kind of are overwhelmed. As a result, many people, many Christians, avoid uh, any serious study of the book of Revelation. Uh Many pastors never preach through that book. I have had pastors tell me, I'm just not going there, it's too controversial, people don't get it, I'm just not going to preach through the book of Revelation. Even John Calvin, the great commentator of the Reformation, said that he wrote commentaries on every other book of the Bible, never wrote a book on revelation said he just didn't understand it and you know i can i can identify with that i remember my mom uh, reading the book of revelation to me when i was a a young boy and and i I just, I just thinking about i started thinking about how scary it is man it's just all those things that were happening then when i became a christian i, I began to to read it again and i really wanted to understand it but I didn't have a biblical foundation. I didn't even know enough sometimes to, to even understand it. And, and I, I started looking for resources. I, I came across Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Probably some of you have, have read that book. Uh, and, and he wrote from a dispensational, premillennial perspective i didn 't even know there was any other view that 's all i i knew and 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 then when i I went to seminary and i be and I started l- uh, learning about all the the myriad of ways that people approach the book of revelation, I became confused i mean seriously confused and i 'm thinking i really want to, i want to Be open minded. I want to really and truly understand what this book says, and I want to make sure I've got it right. That began my serious study of the book of Revelation. And I'm so glad I did that because it has been a great blessing. And today we're going to ask five questions about the book of Revelation. And this is going to be more teaching than preaching, and, and it's, it's a little more academic than, than I would I like for it to be, but I believe that it will be beneficial for us in establishing a foundation for us to work through the book of Revelation. So, so my purpose today is to whet your appetite for a study of the book of Revelation and to give you a confidence that the approach that we are taking to understanding this book is is solidly biblical, and that we are taking a, a correct hermeneutic in other words, a, a, an approach to interpreting this book so the, the first question that we have to ask is, is why study the book of revelation well i 'm glad you ask. I want to give you ten reasons. I'm giving to to you very quickly, but ten reasons why we should study the book of Revelation. First of all, it promises blessing. Remember that that verse three that we just read there. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. You see, to avoid studying the book of Revelation is to miss out on the blessings that God has intended for his people to hear and understand when they, when you hear it and obey it. Now, he's not talking about curiosity. I want to know what's going to happen in the end time. He's talking about understanding these things and being obedient. There's a great blessing in studying it for the purpose of obeying. So to ignore the book of Revelation is to forfeit a a rich treasure in the word of God. And and secondly, it is the inspired word of God. It claims inspiration for itself. Verse 1 tells us that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, listen, which God gave To him to show to his bondservants. You see, this book is from God. God gave it, He gave it to us. And verse 2 tells us that John testified of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So, this is the Word of God, it says. This is the testimony of Jesus Christ and it was it was given to us that we might understand that Jesus is not just the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world but that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah who will take back this universe from the usurper and that's why I've chosen as a title for our study in the book of Revelation the lion and the lamb because in the in the in the gospels we see Jesus as a as a lamb in revelation we see that he's not only a lamb but that he is the lion and that he will bring about judgment upon this earth for the unrighteousness you know it has been estimated that 278 verses of the 404 verses in revelation allude to Old, the Old Testament scriptures, in other words, we we're, we're seeing the Book of Revelation reach back into the Old Testament and to, and and tying it all together for us. This is the Word of God. Revelation is the inspired word of God. Third, it reveals the glory of God. It presents God the Father in his glory in majesty. It describes him there as you can see as, as holy and true and omnipotent, wise, sovereign, eternal, just to name a few. I don't have time to go through it all, but it's incredible all that he shows us. It reveals the depravity of man. Number four. You see, despite God's outpouring of wrath upon this world, uh, we see that that uh, people uh, nevertheless Harden their hearts and, like Pharaoh before them, refuse to repent. Uh, number five, it, it declares the doctrine of redemption. You see, it's amazing that th- there, there's no clearer summation of the doctrine of redemption than Revelation 1-5, which says, Jesus Christ loves us and released us from our sin by his blood. Sixth, it illuminates the ministry of angels. Revelation contains one out of every four references to angels in the scriptures. Number seven, it warns of the dangers of sin. And of course of of compromise with the world. We see the results, we see the consequences that come because of sin in this world number eight it teaches the priority of worship everywhere you look in revelation you see all creation bowing down worshiping god worshiping the son uh, over and over, uh, crying out, "Holy, holy, holy!" and and just giving glory and honor and majesty uh, to the Lord. It, it teaches the priority of worship. When people, when Jesus Christ is truly revealed in the minds and the hearts of people, you know what happens? People worship. When you understand who God is, you worship Him. And it, it, it number. Nine, it's the greatest source of eschatology. Now, eschatology means the study of last things. Eschatos means last things in the Greek. Ology, of course, is study. So this is. it contains more details about the end time than any other book in the Bible. Revelation portrays Christ's ultimate triumph over Satan. It depicts the, the final political setup of the world system. It describes the career of the most powerful dictator in human history, the Antichrist. It mentions the, the rapture in, in, of the church in, in uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. It describes the seven-year time of tribulation, including the three and one-half years called that we know as the Great Tribulation. Uh, it reveals the second coming of Christ. Uh, it it uh, discloses the climactic battle of human history in the battle known as Armageddon. It describes the thousand-year reign of uh, the earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. It, it unveils the final judgment of unrepentant sinners at the great white throne of judgment it describes the final state of the wicked in hell we know as the, the lake of fire it describes the redeemed in the new heaven and the new earth and it shows us that paradise is that paradise that was lost is regained so you see in this sense revelation the the last or the fir, the last book of the bible stands in contrast to Genesis, the, the first book of the Bible. Uh, you see, Revelation is the consummation of all things, whereas Genesis was the, the book of origins, the, be- the book of be- the beginning of all things. And, and look at this picture here. Uh, in Genesis, we find that uh, Satan was victorious, but in Revelation, Satan is defeated. In Genesis, judgment is declared, and in, G- in Revelation, judgment is executed. In Genesis, the curse is imposed, but the curse is removed in Revelation. In-, in Genesis, we find the gates of the garden are closed, and we have angels guarding them to keep them from coming back in. But in Revelation, what do we find? The gates of heaven are open, and angels are inviting the, the saints to come in. in. In Genesis, we find sweat and tears uh, for, as a result of the curse, but in Revelation we find the tears have been wiped away. In in Genesis paradise is lost. In Revelation paradise is regained. Now, but don't forget where we are. Preeminently, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's number ten, and it describes him by. Many titles. It says that he is the faithful witness, that he is the firstborn of the dead, that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, that he is the alpha and the omega, that he is the first and the last, that he is the living one, that he is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He is the son of God. He is the one who has eyes like flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. He is the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He is the one who is holy and true. He is the holder of the key of David, the one who opens and will not or one no one will shut and the one who shuts and no one will open. Uh, He is the one who is holy and true. And he is the amen, the faithful and the true witness in the the beginning of creation of God. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the lamb of God. He is the Lord, holy and true. He is the one who is called faithful and true. He is the word of God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Christ, Messiah, ruling on earth with his glorified Son. Saints and Jesus is the root, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. That's who that's our Lord. Now, see, if you if you if you skip the book of Revelation, look what you miss. And Revelation also uh, uh, affirms the full deity of Jesus Christ. You see, he possesses all the attributes and all the prerogatives. Of God Himself, it, it tells us that He is sovereign, that He is eternal, that He has the right to judge men, that He decides who lives and dies, that He is the one who receives worship, that He is who one who sits on the throne and rules. Jesus Christ is God, and finally, Revelation affirms again His His equality of essence with God the Father, by attributing to him all the attributes, all the characteristics of God himself. And all those things are ascribed to Jesus Christ. See, far from being the the mysterious, incomprehensible book many imagine it to be, Revelation has a purpose to reveal truth, not to conceal it. So many people think of Revelation as holding, as hiding something. No, its purpose is to reveal. In fact, that's revealed in the title, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's telling us that this book reveals Christ to us. Uh, Revelation translates the Greek word apocalypsis. Now, in our world today, when we hear the word apocalypsis, you know what we think about? We think of an apocalypse. And we think of an apocalypse as some horrible end-time event, some, you know, the, the destruction of the world. That's what we kind of think of. But in reality, the word apocalypsis means to reveal. It means to uncover. It means to, uh, to disclose it's used in the New Testament uh, to speak of revealing spiritual truth, uh, to the manifestation of, of the sons of God. And it's used to describe Christ, both Christ's first coming and his second coming. So it's a, in each case, it's a revealing of Jesus Christ. And, and, it's, and usually it has to do with something that was formerly hidden but now has been made known. Or at least maybe it was partially hidden. Now it's fully developed in its, in its revelation. So revelation unveils truth about Jesus Christ and clarifies features of prophecy that were only hinted at previously in other parts of Scripture. It's kind of the full unveiling, as it were. So why study the book of Revelation? We have lots of reasons. I just, I just limited it to 10. That's one of, the, one of the hardest things to do today is to limit what I have to say about this great book. The second question is this. Who's the author? Who wrote this book? Well, four times in Revelation, the author identifies himself as John. Now, the early church unanimously affirmed that this was John the Apostle the son of Zebedee, one of the 12 apostles, the author of the fourth gospel and of the epistles that we know of as John. And writing in the early 2nd century, one of the church fathers, Justin Martyr, says this, quote, there was a certain man with us whose name was John, one of the apostles of Christ, who prophesied by a revelation that was made to him that those who believed in our Christ would dwell a thousand years in Jerusalem and that thereafter the general and, in short, the eternal resurrection and judgment of all men would likewise take place. So Justin Martyr lived in the city of Ephesus one of the cities to whom Revelation was written and delivered. And so his testimony is especially certain. So th- there, is, uh, there are many others that would uh, affirm this. but So we unquestionably say it was John, the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve apostles, the one who wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. This is the one who wrote the Revelation of John. And you remember in the Gospel of John that John tells us that these things were written so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him, you might have eternal life, right? That's why he wrote that book. And then when you get to the epistles, he writes the epistles for the purpose, he says, so that you might know for certain that you not know for sure that you have believed. In other words, be sure. And then when we get to Revelation, what's he telling us? He's saying, be ready. So believe, be sure, and be ready. That's his message. So the, the, the third question is this. What is the date? When was this written? Well, Revelation was written in a time when the church was undergoing persecution. John had been exiled on the island of Patmos which was a basically it was a penal colony and the church as a whole was undergoing uh persecution the, the, as we read the book of revelation we learn that at least one believer had already been martyred and more persecution loomed on the horizon so there were there are two periods of severe persecution of the church during that time the first one was under nero uh, around 68 AD and the second was the time during Domitian, which was around uh, ninety six A.D. And it was widely widely held by the early church that the Apostle Paul, Paul John penned the Book of Revelation near the end of Domitian's reign between ninety four and ninety six A.D. When we look at the characteristics of the persecution, and we consider the book as a whole, it seems that that time frame fits best with the book of Revelation. So um, uh, that's the date that we hold to, 94 to 96 A.D. Uh, One other thing that you might consider here is the condition of the seven churches. When we look at The uh, books uh, like uh, churches like Ephesus, Colossae, um, and we look in 1st and 2nd Timothy, we see that those churches were spiritually healthy overall. But by the time we get to the book of Revelation, we see a spiritual decline in almost all of them. There are exceptions. And so you see what we're looking at is we're we're seeing a period of time from the time they were established in the 60s, until the, the 90s, we, we have seen a spiritual decline. And this is addressed in the book of Revelation. So we, we, we hold to this later date. Now, how do the, the fourth question, and boy, this is, this is the biggie. This is, this is really the, the struggle. How do we interpret the book of Revelation? How do we know if we're getting it right? Now, that, that's, a, that's a that's a huge question. And, and I'm going to tell you about six approaches to understanding the book of Revelation. And you may wonder, well, are you going to take the time to tell us all about this? This is probably going to sound a little bit academic. But here's why I'm going to tell you about this. Because when I hear people talk about the book of Revelation, I hear them taking multiple viewpoints and putting them all together. A, a kind of a syncretistic understanding of the book of Revelation. In other words, their, their interpretation of the book is inconsistent because they're following one set of principles for interpreting it over here, and then they're following another set when they address this passage, and then they're following another thing over here, and basically we kind of make Revelation say what we want it to say sometimes. And it's very important for us to understand why, where people are coming from, what their presuppositions are in coming to the Book of Revelation, and we need to understand our own presuppositions. We need to understand why am I interpreting this this way? This way? Now, so here here are the views. And you'll see what I mean. I think you'll see what I mean as we go through here. First, there is the preterist view. And when you hear that word, I don't like these terms. I, I, I struggle to try to give you something more memorable, but you know, uh, you just kind of have to go with this because that's what you see out there. Uh, the, the preterist view. And when you, th- when you hear preterist, you just have to think past. Because really, what they say is all the events in Revelation were fulfilled. During the first century, under the Roman persecution of Nero, and they base their argument for this on Jesus' statement in Matthew twenty-four thirty-four, where He says, "Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will know, and by no means pass away, until all these things take place." In other words, they said, "Well, it all had to happen back there in that generation." So that's why they interpret this this way, and it, they say, "Well, then the book of Revelation was written to encourage the believers who were suffering under Roman persecution back then." Well, that's true, but that's not the end of the story. And here's what they would say. Let's see if I can pull up this this graph for you here, uh, and let's go to the next one. You see, you'll you'll notice that the 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 second coming is way back here, right at the beginning of the first century, or the you know, beginning of the second century. And what they would say is that Nero was Antichrist. The priesthood that was promoting near, uh, uh, emperor worship is corresponds to the false prophet. Imperial Rome was the beast. The destruction of, of Jerusalem in AD 70 was Armageddon, uh, the re- then they say Christ returned in the clouds to witness the event. He didn't l- literally come to the earth, but he appeared in the air. Then Satan is bound, and he, in a sense, not that he can't do evil, but the, in that he can't stop the gospel from spreading, and that the resurrection is not spiritual or literal. So, wow, think about this. At death, the believer simply becomes an eternally disembodied spirit, passing uh, into the presence of God purely on a spiritual plane. And then the souls of the wicked are cast out of God's presence as disembodied, in a, as a disembodied state. Now, think about this. I don't think anybody here believes that, do we? But, but, this is making a comeback. This is an older view but there are now many internet forums that are promoting this view. It's making a comeback among uh, younger generations. You know, sometimes we think of stuff that, that we think, man, that stuff been been resolved a long time ago. It's like socialism. You know, we thought we got rid of that, we thought we got rid of communism. No, it's coming it's making a comeback. And so it has to be addressed. It has to be addressed uh, again and again, and so these kind of views, these things that we see here uh, have to be addressed now then there's the, the second view it 's called the continuous historical view historicist if you if you are looking uh, for that in in textbooks or that kind of thing uh, the continuous hor- uh, historical approach finds in revelation a record. Of the sweep of church history from apostolic times until present. In other words, they, they look at history and they say all these events will happen at intervals in history until the time of Christ. So it covers all this, this time, these, these events. And uh, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, a kind of a symbolic presentation. Of the entire course of history, and you'll notice that there's no inter, there's nothing really happening in between those, but uh, events, but because they look at it as as a a spiritual representation. Now, notice this: I, I put up here, Martin Luther and reformers saw Roman Catholicism as basically the beast, uh, the Pope. As, and the papacy as uh, the antichrist. That's how they, that's how they view This is, this is, this is coming in history and this is an event. Uh, there were other things that they saw, like the, you know, the fall of Rome to the barbarians, uh, the, um, um, rise of, of Islam and even the French Revolution. So it's not surprising. That when you when you look at when you have to take things and subjectively apply them in history, how easy you could get all kinds of views. Well, this means this. Well, no, that means that. And so you get a real debate going about which historical event is representative of what is happening in the in the book of Revelation. Now, uh, again. What is really important for us to understand is that like the Preterist approach, this approach denies that Revelation is a prophecy about end times events. And and so basically you are left with making up whatever it is you want it to be. So it becomes very subjective, very arbitrary. And so this is a, a presentation of the course of history the church from the close of the first century to the end of time very closely related is the idealist view or symbolic or spiritual view the idealist approach sees uh, in revelation a symbolic depiction of the timeless struggle between good and evil and basically all these things that you 're seeing you know the the dragon and the and the fighting and the so forth that 's going on in the book of revelation it 's just a it's a it 's a dramatic way to talk about the battle between good and evil there 's no timeline there 's no real events it 's just Looking at it in a spiritual way. It's like you were taking uh, the Paul statement in Ephesians chapter 6 about, you know, our war is not against uh, flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and, and forces in dark places. And somebody has just made it into a, 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 a picture form. You're, you're seeing that playing out. So it's not literal. But it's a it's symbolic or, or spiritual or allegorical. Does this make a sense? Okay. Then we come to the amillennial view. Now a lot of times you hear the views, you hear the perspectives on the book, book of Revelation in terms of millennium. Amillennial, uh, postmillennial, pre-millennial. And millennial is the key word. Millennial means a thousand or a thousand year. And it refers to the thousand year reign that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. Thousand years. Okay, so ah, when you put an A in front of a, of a Greek word, it negates it. So it means there's no millennium. There's no literal millennium. Now they would say there's a spiritual millennium and the, the and the key with the with Amillennialism is also is like a couple of others is that they say the church is now spiritual Israel, and um, the, the the Old Testament promises that were made to Israel are now fulfilled in the church in this age, and so they say the church age is a a spiritual kingdom uh, with Recapitulating tribulation. Recapitulating means repeating, and they take the the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, and they say that it's just a repetition of the same thing. And what it's showing us is that all through history there's going to be tribulation, but the tribulation is going to get more intense toward. Uh, The end, and then at the end, there's going to be the second coming, the resurrection, and the eternal state. That's all there is. Okay, so this is a. Are y'all with me now? Is it making sense? Okay, so it's important for you to understand that because sometimes people take elements of the amillennial view and put it into another view, and you get a, a kind of a mixed understanding of the book of Revelation. Now, so the next event for them would be the, the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ and the rapture are the same thing, and judgment and the eternal state. Now, let's go to view number five. And this is called the historical premillennial view. It's it sometimes as the synthesis view or the covenant theology view. And synthesis view means that basically what they try to do is take elements from other views and incorporate them together. The covenant theology is the biggie, is the more important thing, because again, this one really and truly emphasizes that the church is now spiritual Israel. And that the Old Testament prophecies, as we said before, are not. Going to be fulfilled in Israel, literally, but they're being fulfilled spiritually now in the church. And so, again, the 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 the, the trumpets, the seals, and the bowls are characteristic of all ages. Uh, in other words, there's ongoing tribulation. And again, you can see that 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 definitely is true. But they would say that God is using this tribulation. Not so much to bring judgment upon the world, but that God is dealing with the church. You see, this is important to understand. Because God is going to um, purge the church. And so the church has to go through the tribulation. They go through the tribulation, even though it happens in all ages. So what happens? You have a church age. You actually have a, a tribulation or a time where it really intensifies. But then at, you have the rapture of the church. And notice that the, you go up and then you come right back with Christ. And there's the battle of Armageddon. So the, the church has replaced Israel. The church must be purged. Then it's taken out and comes back immediately. And then Christ begins his reign on the earth. And it's an indefinite reign. We don't know if it's really a thousand years or when it, what it is, but then there. And then there will be the second resurrection, the judgment of the great white throne judgment. And then we go into the new heaven and new earth, into eternity. So this is, this is a biggie. Now, let's go to the next view, the pre, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view, also known as the futurist view. Now the futurist view approaches revelation from this standpoint it sees chapters 4 through 22 as being predictions of people and events that will are that are yet to come but they are in the future and i would say that only this approach allows revelation to be interpreted Uh, following the same literal, grammatical, historical, hermeneutical method that we interpret other passages of Scripture. In other words, it treats the book of Revelation not as apocalyptic literature, um, but as Scripture, as a prophecy, like you would deal with any other prophecy in the Bible. And... uh, as previously noted, proponents of these other choices, they frequently resort to spiritualizing, allegorizing, making the symbols mean something that they want it to mean, rather than taking the text for what it says and actually says. And the the futurist approach, in contrast, I believe does full justice to Revelation as a as a prophecy. So if I'm dealing with a prophecy in Ezekiel, then what do I do? I explain that prophecy for what it means. There was a prophecy uh, in in one of the books, uh, in the book of, of Genesis. It says that God was going to provide a, a Messiah. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. You remember we looked at that last time? It's a promise that God is going to bring redemption, that, that the, the Redeemer is going to crush the head of the serpent. You know when that was made? That was made at the beginning of the world. Do you know when the prophecy is fulfilled? It was fulfilled when Jesus Christ died on the cross in part, but it's going to be fulfilled ultimately in the end when, when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, that prophecy goes from the beginning of time to the end of time. And so sometimes people say, well, well then, did that, did that prophecy have meaning for Adam and Eve? Yes. Does it have meaning for you and me? Yes. Will it have meaning for people in the future? Yes. Always has. And see, sometimes what happens is people say that this, uh, this view robs um, people of their uh, uh, the, the, to whom it was written of the meaning or of the significance. Here's what John Walvoord says about that in reply to that. He says, Much of prophecy of the Bible details the distant future, including the Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah, the prophecies of Daniel concerning the future world empires, the body of truth relating to the coming uh, our kingdom on earth, as well as countless other prophecies. If the event of chapter 4 through 19 are future even from our viewpoint today they teach the blessed truth of the ultimate supremacy of god and the triumph of righteousness the immediate application of distant events is familiar in scripture as for instance second peter 3 10 through 12 which speaks of the ultimate dissolution of the earth nevertheless the succeeding passages make an immediate application Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. In other words, what he's saying is that just simply because a a prophecy is made about something that will happen in the future and it doesn't seem to apply immediately to that time doesn't mean that it doesn't have application or benefit to us. Any other approach than the futurist leaves the book of Revelation open to human opinion. So the, the futurist approach takes the book's meaning as, as God gave it. as a, And we study it as a literal prophecy and we take it literally. We don't want to have a wooden uh, literalism, but it becomes very obvious uh, how you translate that. Now, I want, you, I want to review... Here, the the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view. Uh, This is is what we believe, what I believe, and what I think has happened. We begin with the church age, which we are in right now. It's also known in Scripture as the time of the Gentiles. The next event on the calendar, on the prophetic calendar, is the rapture of the church. And that can happen at any time moment any moment it could happen right now that's called the imminency of the return of Christ no other view has an imminent view the historical premillennial which is closest says that you have to go through the tribulation and then there is the rapture and the and the coming back of the church, so if you know when you're in the tribulation, all you got to do is figure out seven years, and you're there. You know when he's coming, but nobody knows in this. So the the church is taken up while we're in heaven. We the believers are judged at the bema seat, the seat of Christ, and then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great celebration. And then, while that is happening, down below, you have the seven years of tribulation, and that is Daniel's 70th week. That was a prophecy that Daniel made, and I'll explain that in greater detail as we go through it, but this is God dealing with Israel. God cut short his dealing with Israel by seven years. It was prophesied that they would have 49 years, seven years were cut off of that, And this is the time that God is dealing with Israel. 144,000 evangelists are going to be uh, sealed, and they're going to be uh, telling the world about Jesus Christ. And they're going to turn to him. All Israel will be saved, the Bible tells us. That's when it's going to happen. At the end of that time, that's going to come the second coming of Christ. Satan will be uh, bound and then we enter into 1,000-year, a 1,000-year reign of, of Christ on the earth as promised in the Old Testament. And then at the end of that 1,000 years, Satan's going to be released. Uh, the few people that are going to be, he's going to gather the people that are not true believers. They're going to have a, a brief rebellion. And then God is going to come in the great white throne and bring judgment upon the unbelieving world, all the dead with apart from Christ, you are going to be raised and judged, cast into the lake of fire, and all believers are going to again enter into the new heaven and new earth with the new Jerusalem coming down. That's the the overview. Okay, y'all with me? Now let's put this. Let's plug this this overview over into the Book of Revelation. Next slide, please. Now Revelation is basically divided. We. And it it does it itself, this is not an arbitrary uh, division, this is the way the book of Revelation divides itself. Things which you have seen, chapter 1, what was it that John saw? He saw the risen Christ in his glory. Then the things which are, that's uh, the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3, God is Uh, As talking uh, specific messages to seven real churches in Asia Minor. And then when we get into chapters 4 through 22, it talks about the things which will take place. That would include the seven-year tribulation, which God is dealing with Israel, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and then uh, the return of Christ. Upon the return of Christ. Satan is bound, there is the millennial kingdom, then Satan is loosed, and then we have the white throne judgment, uh, 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 chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and then we have the new heaven and the new earth, beginning in chapter 21. And the teacher in me wants to say, are there any questions? The preacher in me says, don't ever ask that. (laughs) And... uh, so this this is the this is the view that we're taking of Revelation. This is how we're going to be interpreting it, and hopefully, your your at least your exposure to those other ways of seeing Revelation uh, will prevent you from kind of getting confused about them, so that you can stay here and understand that there's a there's a system a systematic way that we need to do this. Let me ask one other question, okay? Very quickly. Why did John use symbolism? Well, for one thing, it was a kind of spiritual code uh, that was written in the time when, when people were experiencing persecution. Now, if you think about it, if any Roman officer had tried to uh, use revelation as evidence against a Christian, they wouldn't have really they wouldn't have understood the book. Why? Because it's full of Christian symbolism. Symbolism from the Old Testament, uh, symbolism that Christians knew. All, you had to be an insider to be able to understand it. And so uh, it would be like being in China today at, where there's severe, severe persecution going on. They cannot send an email with Jesus' name in it or God or church or prayer because it's monitored. So what do they do? They have other ways of speaking about God. And they use they use symbolism. They use other ways to communicate so that they are not persecuted more harshly than what they are. And but an even greater reason is that symbolism you see is is not weakened by time. John was able to uh, draw upon the great images in God's revelation and symbol them in, you know, in a very dramatic way that has encouraged uh, persecuted saints for centuries. But listen, uh, don't conclude that because that John is using symbols that these things are not real they are. In other words, they are symbols, but they are th- symbols that refer to realities in the world. Spiritually, sometimes, yes. And, but also, very real realities. Um, we acknowledge that symbolism is inherent in apocalyptic uh, literature. But we deny a wooden uh, translation of that. When you look at the book of Revelation... The symbols are oftentimes explained to us. Jesus, it's, it, will, it will tell us that uh, the, the, the seven stars are the seven uh, churches, or he tells us the seven, Jesus stands among the seven lampstands. He tells us the lampstands, they are the churches. He explains it to us. So many things are explained for us, even though it's using symbolism. Uh, his hair is white like wool, and when you hear the word like, you're, you know, you're dealing with a simile. It doesn't mean that his hair is literally white, um, literally wool, but it means that it, it's white like wool is white. That's, that's, the, that's the whole idea. So there's a lot of symbolism, and there's some things that's very mysterious. Some things are not, not told, and some things are meant to be held in a mystery, We just can't understand all that there is to know, but God tells us in a great way these things. And again, I think the third reason why John used symbolism was was not only to convey uh, information, but also to impart values and to arouse emotions. You think about, uh, you know, John says he could have written, there's going to be a dictator that rules the world, but then... He chooses to show us a great beast rising up out of the sea. You see, that's that's visually, emotionally, that's much more powerful than saying, "Well, oh, there's going to be a world dictator." It, it and it and it and it carries with it. Uh, memories. It it embeds it in the minds and the hearts of people. And especially when people come under persecution and one of the first things that always happens is they try to eradicate the word of God from the hands of the people of God. Try to stop that. And so these things were mnemonic, they were uh emotional, they were uh they were powerful ways of communicating. And and again if you do not have an adequate understanding of the Old Testament, a lot of things, these things don't make sense to you. Because a lot of these symbols come from the Old Testament, and they, make, they have a meaning because we understand them from there. The book was originally written to seven real churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus tells us that if we read this book aloud, talking about preaching it, declaring it, we read about it, and we obey it, it brings great blessing to our lives. And and I would pray that we would do that. We would receive great blessing as we study the book of Revelation. Now, I know that's a lot of information, and I know that was kind of a little little academic, but we'll jump in the next time, and we'll get into the to the meat of the text and begin to dig out what God has for us there. So thank you for your time today, your consideration. May God bless us as we study the book of Revelation. And you are dismissed.